You are listening to Power of Three with podcast hosts Richie Woods and Tom Capone. Our Power of Three guest is Town of Hempstead Supervisor Laura Gillen. Supervisor Gillen presides over all town board meetings, directing the legislative and administrative functions of that body. Supervisor Gillen oversees the day-to-day operations of a municipal government comprised of 24 departments, employing just under 2,000 people while providing services to over 760,000 residents. As the Chief Financial Officer of the Township, Supervisor Gillen is responsible for the implementation of the town's budget. As the first Democratic Supervisor in 112 years, Supervisor Gillen is responsible for a town that, if it was incorporated as a city, would be the second largest city in New York State, behind New York City. A lifelong resident of Nassau County, Supervisor Gillen grew up in Baldwin and now resides in Rockville Center with her husband and four children. Supervisor Gillen has said that, we want to be a town associated with a bright future. Under Supervisor Gillen's leadership, the town of Hempstead is looking very bright. Supervisor Gillen, thank you for meeting with us today. Um, I just wanted to begin by saying that Richie and I attended the town hall meeting in Island Park. I believe it was March 27th, if I'm not mistaken. And there were a couple of takeaways for us from uh, our attendance in that meeting. First of all, it is apparent to us that you are passionate about your role as town of Hempstead supervisor. That's true. That is true. A lot of times, even when I was a candidate, people say, no, 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 tell us how you really feel, you know, sarcastically, (laughs) because... I do care passionately about the job that I'm doing, um, about the things that we're achieving here in Town Hall and the things mm-hmm. I want to achieve uh, in my next term as well. That's not something you can fake. That was genuine. It was authentic and it came through. So that's something that was one of the takeaways from us. It was also very apparent that you are so knowledgeable about all of the different issues and, and everything that pertains to the town of Hempstead um, and that you have surrounded yourself with really good people, Joe Davenport, Sylvia Cabana, and there was another staff member who was really a, an important part of that, that meeting that night, and I can't remember her name, but... She, I believe it was Rebecca Sinclair, and she was yes. addressing some of the concerns about the Sandy issues and the building department. Yes, uh, that was a priority of mine. Uh, you know, I come from the private sector, mm-hmm. so in filling out my staff, I really wanted to have a mixture of people from the government sector with government experience, but also people from the private sector with business experience, because I believe that that, that having that different perspective is very helpful uh, in, in, in running a municipality. Mm-hmm. And uh, certainly in my, in, in my case, I believe that not coming from a, not being a career politician and coming from the private sector is something that has helped me not only retain really good talent because I know I know what I was I knew what I was looking for I've inter, I've interviewed people for my law firms in the past mm-hmm. and uh, and I think it also has helped me accomplish things here that just weren't accomplished before. Mm-hmm. Well, that that came through loud and clear. Also, the the staff that you have working with you. The other thing that was um, very obvious to us. When we walked out, we both, I mean, almost simultaneously talked about what a mutual respect there was between people who were there to talk about issues that were very personal in nature, very emotionally charged, some of these issues, but the way that they presented to you and certainly the way that you responded to them suggests that there is a mutual respect that I think pays dividends in terms of how we get along and how we can get things done, how you can get things done 
uh, with the constituents of the town of Hempstead. So that, that seemed to be something that was different from experiences that I've had in meetings where it gets contentious and, and uh, it didn't seem that way. I'm, I'm assuming that that is the feel for most of the meetings that you are part of. Yes, I, I, I feel like we've been lucky. We've had a very positive response at our meetings. Um, if there are issues that people are concerned about, look, I'm a public servant and I take that role very seriously. I work for the people. And that's why it was important for me and my administration to reach out and to do these town hall type meetings throughout every councilmatic district. And we're actually going to do another series of town hall meetings and to be the first supervisor that actually went on the road and did a budget roadshow. So if people know to, to really let people know what's going on in town hall, let them know how their taxpayer dollars are being spent. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I do care about doing a really fine job. And if there's something that's not working right, it's certainly something I want to fix. Mm -hmm. uh, Supervisor Gillen, let's go backwards a little bit. Our podcasts have focused on people that have made a difference um, in the lives of other people. And certainly you, you fit that description. Would you tell us a little bit about uh, growing up in Baldwin, about your community, your parents, your schooling, and how that helped to create the accomplished woman that you are now. Sure. Uh, I'm very, very lucky um, because I was born into a family with two really wonderful, giving, selfless, uh, doting parents. My parents, I'm lucky enough, they're still with me today. They still live in the house that I spent most of my childhood in, mm -hmm. uh, Elaine and Bill Gillen. Um, I have three brothers and one sister. We're a very close family. Uh, and I think when you have that kind of start in life, it really helps you succeed. If you, if you feel like you come from a, from a place where people believe in you and people support you and they support your ideas. So certainly I credit um, every good thing that's happened in my life initially to my, to my parents. Um, we, I, I went to St. Christopher's School in Baldwin, and so we got. We, right. I actually went to school with a lot of people from Oceanside because right. they closed St. Anthony's School around the time that I was there. So we had all the St. Anthony's Oceanside kids right. came mm -hmm. to St. Christopher's. I went to St. Anthony's. No, you did. Bit. Okay, all right. So, yeah. uh, so I started out there, and then I wound up going to Sacred Heart in Hempstead for high school, um, and uh, I volunteered in Oceanside at South Nassau Communities Hospital, and just community service was something that. My parents suggested that I get involved in, and it was something that I found uh, very gratifying even at a young age. So mm -hmm. there was always that kind of focus uh, in my life. And then uh, after college, I wound up eventually getting to into Georgetown. Uh, I was a government major while I was at Georgetown, and I worked on Capitol Hill while I was there. Um, I found you know the study of government very interesting. I didn't know if I would pursue a career in government or not. Um, but it was a great foundation, and then I'd had a bunch of different jobs after right. after college. Um, and uh, after college, again, community service is something that's very important to me. I worked for uh, Gay Men's Health Crisis, which at the time I was graduating college, AIDS was really just starting to explode. And I looked at people who had AIDS as they were the modern day lepers, right? Nobody wanted to go near them. Nobody wanted to associate with people with AIDS. So I volunteered at GMHC because I felt like that would be a way that I could give back and, and all the lessons that I learned, right. I guess, from decades of Catholic school, right. Right. Um, that was a way for me to give back. Um, so I did that while I was working in Manhattan. Again, I worked in an entertainment agency, a number of different places. Um, ultimately, I wound up going to Calcutta and working for Mother Teresa in India for a while. And then I came back and I went to law school and became a lawyer. <laughs> well, that was exactly where I was going to go next. But 
and my question because that kind of work um, is very different especially Mother Teresa um, the gay men's health crisis mm -hmm. South Nassau Camp Anchor you worked at as, yes, a, as yes. a kid too right um, my question is do you still carry those feelings with you in your feelings of empathy and your feelings of trying to do things for others that you gain that human experience that you gained um, working with people who were sick and, and people who needed your help you know is it still with you day to day Absolutely. I mean, I've, I've always found that kind of work, again, you go to give, but you get so much more. It's very satisfying for me um, to do that. So I do continue to try to do volunteer work in my private time, in my non-government public time. Um, but even I think that empathy is really important uh, in terms of the way I view my employees. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I feel like the, the workforce has re really had a low morale in the prior administration. And I wanted to, to really try to make the workers start to feel empowered. Like, I really do care about them. I care about their plight. Mm -hmm. I care that they're being treated fairly at work. And I'm trying to make changes uh, right. to the culture here so that there's less intimidation and fear and that the workers feel like they truly are appreciated right. by management, by the top, uh, by the fourth floor. And and try to make them, try, I've been trying to make their lives better. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I. I I went into the to the highway yard and the lunchroom. I mean, I said a prison lunchroom looks yeah. better than this. Mm -hmm. So I made it a priority in my capital plan to put in money to improve the facilities at the Inwood Highway Yard and at the Roosevelt Highway Yard, and we're redoing the bathrooms. Just doing things, nice things, to make it more comfortable and nicer for our workers. If you feel happy where you go to work, right. you're going to do a better job. So it's ultimately better for the taxpayers as well. Good. So it's definitely stayed with you. Yes. All those experiences. I, you probably know some people who were in the Jesuit Volunteer Corps. I don't know because that was because you went to a Jesuit school. I did. I was in the Jesuit Volunteer Corps for two years, but and the expression that they used is, "You're ruined for life." Like you can't, <laughs> you really can't get that feeling out of your body. And that's I'm I'm glad to see that, you know, you still maintain the feelings of empathy. You know. Absolutely. Supervisor Gillen, um, I'm sure that there were a number of things that led you to uh, make the decision to run for political office. Um, one of the things that, that Richie and I heard you talk about that night in, in Island Park was the Lighthouse Project. Yes. And that was one of the things that propelled you into uh, the political arena. Yes. Can you maybe talk a little bit about that and, and where we are with that? Sure. So um, at that point in my life, I was working at a law firm out here in Uniondale. Originally, I worked at a big white shoe Manhattan law firm. And then I moved out to a, a firm in Uniondale. So right across the street, from the Nassau Coliseum. And, uh, you know, I, like many people, I would say in terms of my interest in politics, I was really focused much more on the national political scene or the international political scene than I was focused on what was going on in my own backyard. Uh, but I remember reading about the Lighthouse Project and it seemed like this great, great project and it was gonna be privately funded and I thought mm -hmm. that sounded very good as a taxpayer. Right. I like that. Um, and my husband's a hockey player, and my sons are hockey players, and so the Islander going to Islander games is something that we've done for years. You guys must really be yeah. excited right with, now, with, yeah. with what's we're, going we're on. We're very, we're very excited. We like them even when they lost, but it's much more fun going now. Um, so, so to see that fall apart, and it seemed like it was purely for partisan political reasons, something mm -hmm. that would be really good for Nassau County, and to see that 
just crumble because there was a difference between the who was in charge at the county level and then who was in charge at the town of Hempstead level. It just seemed it was pure politics that ruined that deal. So he's very disappointed about that. And then when there's a new administration that comes in at the county level and all of a sudden there's a deal, but now the taxpayers were gonna have to pay for it. And the way they held the referendum on whether or not the taxpayers would be bearing the burden to redevelop the Coliseum mm -hmm. area, the way they did it in August, instead of just waiting till November, seemed very shady to mm -hmm. me. It was because they thought no one would show up and they could just you know, dictate the outcome of that election. So that really bothered me. And that kind of inspired or gotcha. fired up the activist <laughs> right. in me. So mm -hmm. I started calling people and saying, you know, you have to pay attention to what's going on here. You have to pay attention. Why should, if we had, some, we had a gentleman who's gonna pay for this himself and now we're gonna have to pay it and our children are gonna have to pay for this. It really made me angry and it made me think I gotta get more involved and I have to pay more attention to what's going on in my own backyard because really your local government impacts your life so much more in so many ways than what happens on the national scene. Were there other examples from growing up your childhood that contributed to who you are as a person that led to that decision? I mean, certainly this Lighthouse Project was the impetus behind that being fired up and, and taking that step. Were there other things that you recognize, maybe in retrospect looking back, that contributed to the person you are, where you felt you can make that decision to, to go for, you know, for a political office? I guess um, just throughout my life, there's been times where I've always felt like if you have gifts, if you have strength, if you have something that you can contribute and you can stick up for someone who is being taken advantage of, that you should use your talents for that purpose, whether it's advocating for kids at Camp Banker or young mm -hmm. adults at Camp Banker, if it's advocating for people living with HIV AIDS, if it's advocating for any underdog, that's been something that I've always tried to do in my in my life. I mean, were there other things? I was a student council president. It's quite a different thing to run for that. You pretty much just like make posters and hand out candy and then you win. Um, it's 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 quite a bit different. But um, I guess you know. Uh, Not everybody runs for student council president, that, though. That's true. That's true. And uh, and I was I was an actor for a while. Mm -hmm. So I guess that kind of made it a little bit easier for me to, to speak publicly. So that mm -hmm. probably was something that was good to have in my repertoire and helped it helped me make that transition into, into campaign mode a little bit easier mm -hmm. than it might be for other people. When you first assumed responsibility as Town of Hempstead Supervisor, uh, one of the things that you talked about was transparency. And I think that, that you feel very strongly about maintaining that. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that transparency has manifested itself through your work here as our supervisor? Sure. Uh, the town of Hempstead, I mean, I'm the first um, member of a, a different party that's been elected in 112 years. Mm -hmm. And I think one party rule, it doesn't matter which party it is, but if you have one party rule for 100 years, bad things are going to happen. Mm -hmm. And I felt uh, that this place was really closed off. It was an insider's club and in terms of who got jobs, in terms of who got contracts, and the public really wasn't given a lot of information about the town of Hempstead. If you wanted to know anything about it, you had a foil mm -hmm. for it, and there was certain information that I, I feel that residents have a right to know. They shouldn't have to foil for it. Our financial disclosures, our financial audits, those, mm -hmm. those are the kind of things, it's, it's your money. You right. should know how it's going to be spent. You shouldn't have to foil to get a copy to the, of the budget or come to the budget hearing. You shouldn't have to foil to get audited financials. And 
um, as I started monitoring what was going on in town hall, I would see that there was a lot of obfuscation and a lot of resistance to letting residents know exactly what's been going on here. Uh, so, so it was a priority of mine to, you know, open up the windows, let the sunlight in, let the residents see exactly what's happening here so that they can feel more confident that their government is actually working for them. If they know how their money's being spent, then they can be their own watchdogs. Uh, and so I really made a push to start opening up competition in the town in terms of personal professional services contracts mm -hmm. in the past they were just awarded by you know the department head or the supervisor or the elected official to whomever they wanted they would just pick people mm -hmm. uh, so if you weren't a connected politically connected law firm consultant you couldn't do business here mm -hmm. I wanted to change that so I put forward a resolution uh, that required that for any professional services contract over ten thousand dollars there had to be an open, competitive, transparent process. Um, we put out an RFQ, which is a request for qualifications uh, to, for example, for law firms. And we got a whole number of respondents back. We screened them to make sure that they met certain criteria. Um, we also negotiated with them. Would you, t would you accept municipal rates? And if they would accept municipal rates, then they could be on our roster of right. approved attorneys. If they didn't, then they couldn't. That's it. Right. So mm -hmm. we had law firms that came came to us with you know seven hundred dollar an hour rates for their partners, and we called them back and said, if you want to do business with the town, you got to come down. Some said okay, some said no. But if they said no, then they're not on our list anymore. Right. So we're getting more bang for our buck out of the you know out of the law firms we use because we made it competitive. Uh, so I, I think you know that's that's one little transparent thing: putting contracts online, putting audited financials online, putting a capital plan online. All of that, so any resident can just go to our website and look at our financial documents and watch how money is being spent. When they pull up a contract, then we have a contract database. They can search it. They can pull it up. They can see the bids. They can see what the terms of the contract are. It's all right there for them to see. I think that might explain in part why we saw what we saw at that meeting in Island Park about the, uh, the tone and tenor of the meeting where people were talking about issues that, that, that were important to them. But it was done in a, in a respectful way. I think that maybe it does speak to the fact that you are trying to present information in, in a way that is transparent to them and everything's there and you're, you're working for them. And I think that it's, they sense that. And I guess that's what we saw that evening. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, that's the way I feel. I, as I said, I came from the private sector. I'm not a career politician. I didn't run for this job because I needed it. I ran for this job because I wanted it, because I wanted to make a difference and I wanted to make thing be things better for the residents. Mm -hmm. And I, every, every day, that's what I try to keep pushing forward. Mm -hmm. Every single day, I'm looking at every contract. I'm asking the tough questions that haven't been asked in decades. Um, and I'm bringing things to light, you know, contracts that haven't been bid out since 1970s, you mm -hmm. know, like ridiculous things that when, when you were student council president, did you ask tough questions also? Or? I did, but it was a more controlled situation. I had um, two nuns who were kind of running the school, and you didn't mess with them. Okay. Uh, I can attest to that, too. Um, Supervisor Gillum, last week you had a decision um, in your lawsuit versus the town of Hempstead board in which the 190 or so people who were given positions right before you took office the decision was that that was considered a legal decision, yet um, they were not protected from being fired moving forward. I'm just wondering, is there a course of action that's 
moving on from that point uh, with that issue. So, so we challenged two actions that were taken at uh, the my predecessor's last town board meeting. Really, the, the, I don't think I don't know if anybody's ever found um, such villainous acts as my predecessor took to try to hamstring my administration. Um, there, there was no rational basis for what he did. Uh, it was again taking patronage employees. You know, we usually when there's a change in an administration, the people who are in not union jobs, they go with the, the elected official when they leave. But he put his staff, the clerk staff, put them all into protected positions and put my budget out of whack to the tune of $2.4 million on the first day that I walked in the door. The budget was done. There was no budget for any of these people to be buried uh, in our civil service workforce. Uh, so I challenged that. Uh, and I also challenged, they, they did an amendment to the contract with the union. Now the contract with the union had just been negotiated in July. And my predecessor went around bragging about how it was such a great deal, it was really fair to the taxpayers, it was really fair to the union. The union president said, oh, it's a great deal. Everybody said it's the great deal, great negotiation. We negotiated for months, great contract. Well then, he loses the election, and all of a sudden he changes the agreement that he just renegotiated and said it was great. They opened the contract up again? And yes, they amended the contract to put in a provision that said that no one could be laid off for any reason except cause, including they could not be laid off even in, for economic or budgetary reasons. So mm -hmm. even if there was an economic crisis, we could not lay any people off. Um, this was offered in July, and it was flatly rejected by my predecessor. But now he did it to try. My budget is out, out of balance because he hit all those people, mm -hmm. and now he's saying I can't lay anybody off. Um, so there, it was purely for political reasons. The judge found that it was arbitrary, it was ca capricious. There was a smoking gun email from one of the deputy town attorneys, Ms. Conteva, who that said, how can we stop her from laying off people and her, I, I don't have the email in front of me, mm -hmm. so I'm not quoting it verbatim, but it, that email, uh, the judge found was very persuasive to say that there was no rational basis for this. It was purely, strictly to try to mm -hmm. har harm me and mm -hmm. harm my administration. So um, I prevailed in the case. The, the judge did not undo all the personnel moves. Um, you know, that's a decision I can live with. I had no intention of going and firing everybody. Right. I just needed to, the main thing I that I cared about was getting rid of that amendment to the union contract because the, the my, my hands as a CFO of the town and the town board's hands should not be tied. If there's, God forbid, some economic downturn and really bad prices that we could not lay people off or consolidate right. departments uh, in order to meet our, you know, to, to, to make do with the financial circumstances we're presented right. with. But again, we don't have that situation right now. I prevailed in my lawsuit. Right. I didn't go firing a bunch of people. That was not my intention, but it was, in, it was to, to, to protect the taxpayers, really. Because if I can't lay anybody off and I'm in an economic crisis, the only thing you would be left to do is to take it from the taxpayers, and that's what I did not want to do. Mm -hmm. Supervisor Gillen, I'm, I'm gonna quote you here, and you let me know, I think it's accurate, but you, you said that what our government doesn't does hasn't changed, but how our government does it must. Sound like what? Maybe. I, I, I think I said, but <laughs> I'm I, not going to dispute it. Well, I, I guess the, the question there is, is that's how you approach 
you know, your role as yes, supervisor. Absolutely. And this is first and foremost for you. What we do here is the same. We deliver services to residents. We do garbage, sanitation, pick up garbage. We plow streets, we repair roads, mm -hmm. we provide programming for seniors, we maintain parks. All of that is the same. It doesn't matter who's in charge. But what I wanted to change is, again, yes, the way we do it. Mm -hmm. I want to do it in a more transparent, cost-efficient way. Um, and I want to improve services. Uh, you know, I came here, there are only a few facilities that took credit cards. I mean, this sounds like insignificant, mm -hmm. but we are moving towards a cashless society. Right. So we wanted to push out credit card acceptance throughout the town so that if you don't walk around with cash and you walk around with, and you use a debit card to pay for everything, you have the opportunity opportunity to do that at the beaches if you want to go there, at a park, mm -hmm. at the clerk's office if you want to get a permit or something. So in, in trying to push forward a, a, a very simple thing that just provides a nice convenience for our residents, mm -hmm. by doing that we also then looked at the, the com contract mm -hmm. for our processing fees. And we saw our processing fees were outrageous. So we put it out to bid, we fostered competition, and as a result we got a 50% reduction in our credit card processing fees. So again, just not accepting the status quo. Um, uh, the way things have been done around here ha have not been done in the most efficient, uh, fiscally responsible manner, and that's what we're laboring to change here. One of the things that uh, Rich and I had talked about, and um, you know, we want to ask about the appointment of vacant board seats by sitting board members. Um, you believe that each vacant seat should be filled via an election. Um, what can you do as supervisor to, to make or to, to create this change? Right. So uh, every single Republican official has been appointed and anointed, selected, not elected for their seat initially. Um, and this is to give them the advantage of incumbency. Uh, and I don't think that's right. Um, I think that a vacancy should be filled by electing somebody. And I think you have, a, you have a situation here where we have six councilmatic districts. So right now, for example, because of the resignation uh, and conviction of Edward Ambrosino, in the second district we have a vacancy. Um, tomorrow they're going to try to appoint Joe Muscarella. Mr. Muscarella, who is a declared candidate for that seat. Never before had they appointed someone to the town board who's already in a race, a mm -hmm. declared candidate for that seat. So they're trying to give their candidate an advantage over the other candidate, who, by the way, I am running with a Republican. So it's, I don't really look at this as an RVD issue. I just look at it as a fairness um, and a de Democratic small d issue mm -hmm. because the people who will be voting on whether or not Mr. Muscarella gets the appointment to the seat are except for me, I'm the only person who is elected by the people in that district because I'm elected townwide. Everybody else is only elected by the people in their district. So this decision is going to be made by people who are not, who are never elected by the people in the second district and they have no ties to the people in the second district. How do you change that though, besides trying to convince uh, the public, like how do you, would you have to, get the legislators, local legislators around here to see your side, and I, I, just, I just don't understand how so, you can change it. I'll tell you, so um, really, I, that's what I personally believe. There is a cost associated with running a special election. It's roughly about $100,000 mm -hmm. per councilmatic district. So the argument on the other side is, well, it's too expensive to hold a special election, and it's, it's a waste of money. Um, 
What I tried to do was I tried to put forward a resolution calling for a referendum. So I wasn't saying I should dictate that there's gonna be a special election and you should bear the cost. I wanted to let the people be heard. I wanted to put it to a referendum. Mm -hmm. And initially what I did was I put forward a resolution that said, let's have a public hearing on whether or not we should have a referendum on whether special elections are warranted when there's a vacancy. They shut it down and they tabled it. So they didn't even want to listen to the public. They didn't even want to let the public be heard. And they said, we're not talking about that, it's tabled. Well, I went to a newspaper, uh, I was being interviewed about something else, I think, and they, this issue came up and I said, I'm just gonna keep putting up, it up at mm -hmm. every board meeting. I'm not gonna let, I'm gonna try to let the public be heard on this because right. I think it's important. And certainly I think people from the second district, now that there's, that's where our vacancy is, they, they should be heard on this issue. Right. So, and everybody kind of anticipated that this was likely to occur because at the, at the time I was elected, uh, Mr. Ambrosino was already under federal indictment. So we, it was anticipated that there would be a vacancy in that mm -hmm. district coming. Um, so then they changed the rules of how town board meetings work to stop me from being able to put it up and make them have an uncomfortable conversation and stifle the people every single board meeting. They changed the rules so that if the majority votes to table something indefinitely, it can never come back on the agenda again unless they say so. Undemocratic, this is Politburo politics. So I'm gonna show my ignorance here then. So you as town supervisor, you have just one vote in among the town council? Yes. So, and you don't have any special powers like a president with DeVito or, it's, any, it's or there's unusual. nothing like that? I'm, I'm an executive without a lot of executive authority. I do right. not have veto power at the moment. So the board, the, the configuration of the board right now is such that it's yes. it's Republican majority. majority. Yes, yes. And, only, and, there are only two Democrats on the mm -hmm. town board. So um, how is that impacting how you move forward and how you know you do what you can do for the people of the town of Hempstead? What? It, it, I mean, they, they certainly have been able to obstruct a lot of the things that I've been trying to do. Um, foreclosure registry, whistleblower legislation. Uh, I think that's really important to, to ensure our workforce that if they see something going wrong that they, they feel comfortable reporting it. Um, those things have been obstructed. Uh, you know, little things that they can just, they can just trample. The, the way I get things done is I, I put forward an initiative and either I get them to agree that it's a good idea or I go to the press and I tell the press about it and then that's, the, you know. Trying the, to get to the people. That's, that, that's what <laughs> right. happened with the procurement policy that I talked about um, with, the, with respect to professional contracts. Uh, I put forward resolu a resolution, they tabled it. This was before they changed the rules, they tabled it. So then we went to the press and we told the press and we had them look at how much money went to all the favored law firms and they found that Joe Mondello, the former chairman of the Nassau County Republican Party, his law firm made over um, like $1.5 million, I think in a year and a half, uh, just from doing business with the town. So all of a sudden then there was so much scrutiny that I wound up getting the resolution passed. And also, the supervisor also has done things within her own department to really help taxpayers in the town by modernizing um, a lot of the technology and things like that by inter introducing the new interactive map uh, for roads. Right. So, uh, yeah. The, uh, the app is an incredible uh, opportunity for people to have access to what's going on. 
Yes, um, absolutely. It's, we're trying to modernize town hall yeah. uh, is what we're doing here. I couldn't believe it when I came in and I said, let's get all the contracts online. And I found that it was just a bunch right. of manila folders. Mm -hmm. This is ridiculous from, you know, uh, you know, just a, a, a digital perspective, like how could we not have documents scanned? And just from a, you know, a, a safety perspective, like town hall burned down. We, we have no co copies right. of our contracts right. left. It's yeah. crazy. Uh, so, and even in the town attorney's office, I come from a private law firm. So I said, what case management system do you use? And they looked at me like I was talking a different language. They don't mm. even know what I'm talking about. I said, when you get in discovery materials on a case, what do you do with them? And they pointed to a box uh, under the desk. I mean, the discovery materials are extraordinarily important. The first thing we do in private practice is get them scanned immediately so that, you know, if somebody's, because when people review them, they put them in a pile, they put them here and there, you can lose things, it's very easy. Right. So I'm, I'm making the push to modernize this office, to get rid of the 72 typewriters that we have here that people are still using. I, I mean, it's amazing to me how, what I found when I got to this town. So I, I think what I heard that night in Island Park also, being from Oceanside, Oceanside's going to be the first town where all of the permits are being uh, electronically monitored. Is that correct? So we're moving um, to a, a, an electronic-based a system for parking permits. So a lot of parking permits were just up for renewal. We weren't quite there yet where we had the reader, so we still had to issue stickers, but we're moving towards a system where um, the clerk's office will offer you a permit and you will not even need to put a sticker on your car. We'll just have your license plate number. And so our public safety officers will have a reader, so when they go in a parking lot, they can just scan everybody's license plate and they'll know if they have a permit or not. So this will, one, make it better for the residents. They don't have to put that, keeps changing the sticker in their car. Mm -hmm. It's a little thing, but some people don't like it, so that now you don't have to have it. And it's a great efficiency thing because we'll save so much time for our public safety officials. They don't have to get out of their car and like mm -hmm. go walk around from car to car to car right. to look for a sticker. So it, it'll, it'll free them up to do other things instead of just walking around parking lots all day long. Makes sense. Yes. <laughs> One of your platforms for the election that's coming up is to continue your ethics reforms. Um, what specific changes have happened under your regime now regarding that and what reforms still need to occur? So I put forward, <coughs> excuse me, a comprehensive ethics package in September of 2018. Um, when I ran when I first announced that I was running for town supervisor, I noted that the ethics code hadn't been updated since 1990. And then when I got in office, I found that it was disjointed. There were different parts of the code in, in one part of the, like, of the uh, collaborative town code. There was a di an older code was posted on the website. It was all over the place. And, um, and sorry for the interruption. And so the code was all over the place. So I had my staff go out and look at the ethics code for every, from every municipality on Long Island and even beyond Long Island and, uh, and draft a comprehensive, like the most comprehensive ethics code we could have in the town of Hempstead. So I did that, we did a press conference and then um, my colleagues uh, in the majority decided that they were gonna do their own ethics code. So just a redundancy of effort, a waste of time. I mean, ours was so comprehensive. We gave it to them. 
I said, let's work together. I know that would be one thing you would think that you could both work on. Right. right. So I said, let's work on it together. We used the town's ethics lawyer, Mr. Leventhal, but they just didn't want to look at mine, so they just had to do their own. So tomorrow, actually, um, at tomorrow's town board meeting, the ethics code, we worked with their ethics code, and we so we said, okay, ignore mine. Let's take yours. We'll add what we can to yours. Right. Um, so we worked with, the, with them through uh, Steve Leventhal, and... Um, so we're gonna vote on ethics tomorrow. Um, yeah. Is it as far reaching as I would like? No, but it's definitely better that than what okay. we've got now. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't wanna to say too much about it yet because we'll wait and see if it right. passes. I right. would think that it's going to pass, but yeah. you never know what could happen at a, right. one of our town board <laughs> meetings. Um, it seems like it had a good chance with, if you both contributed to it, yes, though, right? Yes, yeah. we, we did um, both contribute to it and, uh, and worked with Mr. Leventhal and um, there are things in there that have not previously been addressed in ethics codes, and I'm very proud of getting even that done. Okay. And as you continue your campaign uh, for next fall's election, you know you're going to be asked the question about Democrats raising taxes. And what's going to be your answer to that? Because it seems like that question is, um, regardless of where the election right. is taking place or at what level, the Republican um, statement will be that Democrats raise taxes, so. Well, in this instance, they'd be lying because the only person on the town board who's never voted to raise taxes is me. Every other Republican on that board and the other Democrat, they have all voted to raise taxes. And if they want to talk about taxes, I'm happy to talk about them because I delivered a budget that stayed flat on taxes. And uh, in the past two prior regimes, they have raised taxes almost $100 million. I don't have the exact figure, but Kate Murray and Tony Santino raised taxes. It was the Republicans who raised mm -hmm. taxes, not the Democrat. So I welcome that discussion because I've got the best record of anybody sitting up there, uh, including uh, the tax collector, who is the spender of taxes. That, you know, that was going to be our last part. Was, um, so you, have you officially or unofficially started your campaign? Um, against Donald Clavin uh, for the election next fall? I guess I have officially uh, started because um, we're in a weird situation this year because they just changed the election cycle law at the state level. So uh, previously, uh, petitioning and not, candidates weren't nominated until the end of May, early June. So you weren't officially like designated to be on the ballot until sometime in June. But they put us on the same cycle uh, statewide as, as the federal cycle. So um, I've already been nominated by my party. I've accepted the nomination and the designation to be on the ballot. So everything is, the whole campaign has kind of started a lot sooner than it normally would uh, or than it had in the past. Uh, so, so I guess officially I have started my campaign. Um, you have some Republican backing too. You, last campaign, maybe a little more. Because, I, in my opinion, I guess some of those Republicans might have been upset with the way things were and more back to you then. But you still have some. Which other Republicans that you think will be backing you for this election coming up? Well, I think a very important thing to see is that um, my ticket is di diverse, not in terms of gender and ethnicity. It's also diverse because I have a Republican who's running with me. Uh, the former mayor of Floral Park, Tom Tweedy, is a registered Republican. 
but he isn't, does not subscribe to machine politics, and he doesn't like the way things have been done around this town, and he supports the good government initiatives that I'm doing, because really, when you're running a town government, there's nothing that's really democratic or Republican. There's just a good way and a bad way. I think what we've had for the past 15, 20 years has been the bad way. Some would argue 100, but I don't know if it was always so bad. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, again, he's supporting me. He believes in the good work that I'm doing, which is really just being responsive to the taxpayers, being accountable to the taxpayers, doing the best thing I can to save them money and to deliver be better services. Uh, so, so he believes in what I'm doing. And I'll tell you, uh, you know, I've been ha having these town hall meetings in areas that are more Democrat, but in areas that are solidly Republican areas, and I'm getting applause because people know what I'm doing is in their best interest. It's not to serve a party boss, it's to serve the residents. Supervisor Gillen, um, my, my last question uh, is this, and, and something you probably hear now that you're approaching, you know, that, that point where you are going to begin campaigning, um, looking ahead to the re-election or the election. Um, how do you balance your responsibilities as Town of Hempstead supervisor while campaigning? Uh, I think it's, uh, what I do here is going to take care of the election, I think. Um, it speaks for itself. As long as I keep doing the good work that I've been doing, mm -hmm. the Town of Hempstead is getting better every day. Mm -hmm. And it's getting better because I'm here because I'm looking at things, because I'm shaking up the status quo, and that is delivering real results for the taxpayers. Legal fees, again, mm -hmm. nobody's getting paid $700 an hour, because I'm here. If I wasn't here, all the politically connected law firms would just get whatever they want. That's what our fee is? Okay, here you go, you're politically connected. Um, contracts being put out to bid, looking at new ways to deliver services to residents, improving technology, trying to bring us into the 21st century. It's only happening because I got elected, and I think the residents see that, and I think the residents, will, it'll be very clear to the residents, you know, who has their best interests in mind, and who do you want? You want a, a career politician or someone who came in be, and is taking the job because they, they love it, not because they need it. When we started, we talked about the, the focus of our podcast, The Power of Three, and those who we you know, look forward to having conversations with. And we look for people who are making a difference. And, and I, I'm going to say personally that you are absolutely making a difference for the town of Hempstead. And it's been a pleasure hearing from you and, and allowing us to come to, to hear everything that you are doing for the people of the town of Hempstead. So thank you, Supervisor Gillen. Thank you, Supervisor Gillen. Thank really you, gentlemen. appreciate your time. So gracious with your time today. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to remind you, our Power of Three listeners, that you can contribute to the overtime episode by submitting questions or comments to the voice message feature at anchor.fm or our email, rtwtmc at gmail.com. Thank you.